You're listening to the Hopped Up Network. The show you're about to listen to is part of the Hopped Up Network's growing family of craft beer podcasts in the U.S. and Canada. I think it's great. Find this show and others like it at hoppedupnetwork.com, the spot for informative and entertaining craft beer podcasts. I love it. I love you guys. You're listening to the Hopped Up Network. You're listening to the Pints and Provisions podcast with Evan, Mark, Ryan, and Dan. You're listening to the Pints and Provision Podcast with Evan, Mark, and Dan. Oh, I forgot someone. I can't Tap room right here because uh, that, that may have been one of the really last times you went to a, a live tap room. It absolutely was, yeah. <laughs> so, and if we're talking about beer, then it's kind of my go-to. Yeah, and as long as uh, we continue to keep friends down in Austin, they're more than willing to ship us some live oak at any time. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah, it is. It's a beautiful thing. <laughs> As a great beer city. I, I had a trip planned down there, like kind of like early pandemic. Hey, maybe this thing will be okay and I can go down there. I've got a best friend and buddy that lives down there. And then, nope. <laughs> nope. All right. Well, might as well get started. Sure. All right. Evan and Ryan here with Pints and Provisions. And we're um, really excited to welcome Mike uh, at Chicago Beer on Instagram and socials. But uh, if you go check him out, you can see he's got a few places he contributes to and maybe Mike should introduce himself and let us know a little bit about kind of what he does and why we loved having having him come join us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me here tonight. Uh, obviously, my name is Mike Solar um, at Chicago Beer on Instagram, but also the Midwest editor from porchdrinking.com. We're a craft beer blog. We've been around for a number of years, um, eight, nine years by now. And yeah, we just cover everything craft beer it started as a kind of a passion project for eight of us back in the day. Now we have over 150 writers all over the country and all the major cities and covering all the big craft beer news. So are you a writer by like training or what, what's your background? Yeah. So it actually started, um, Tristan Chan's our founder. We all went to Miami of Ohio together and we were all journalism majors. And so after college, we all spread out over the country. Um, Tristan went to Denver and the craft beer scene, this is probably 2010, 2011, was small, but it was emerging. And Tristan sent out a message saying like, hey, you know, I wanna keep writing. Craft beer is becoming a thing. Who's interested? I was like, I'm in. So there's probably eight or 10 of us, all Miami, Ohio. And then we just kind of um, blossomed from there. But yeah, I mean, it was, uh, again, just, it still is a passion project, right? It's no one's full-time job. It's something we just yeah. all love to do. And it's grown quite a bit and we just love covering the same. Nice. Um, obviously, you know, if, if you go check out at least your socials, you're pretty tongue in cheek with a lot of stuff, craft beer with some of the absurdities of craft beer, uh, 450 North, excuse me. Um, and then, you know, some of the, the wonderful things about Chicago beer um, specifically. So um, I think it's always good to start off with like what we've had lately that has been 
stand out. Maybe it, it, it impressed us a little bit more than usual in the past week. Cause I'm sure we all usually have at least a sip or two a week. So uh, Ryan, I'm going to let you go first. All right. Mine is uh, it's, I, I, I didn't have a ton of different beer over the weekend, but I just, the way it hit the spot um, in kind of a shocking way is uh, Pilsner Urkel. So uh, we, uh, we listened to a podcast called Steal This Beer, and they drank it blind. Um, seems like their podcasts are always released at least a few weeks, if not a, a month or so late. But So whatever, they drank it in December, January, who knows, and uh, came out recently. And they were talking about Dovetail, so that's why I tuned in. And um, blindly, they were saying, this is what Pilsner Urkel should taste like, but you always get that skunkiness out of the green bottle, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it turned out that they were drinking Pilsner Urkel and then they were just raving about it or whatever. And I said, I haven't had that in so long. Went out and got uh, a 12 pack of them. And uh, yeah, had a few on Friday night and they just kind of, I don't know, it just really hit the spot. And I was kind of feeling a little bit of that same exact same sensation that they were when they were drinking it. Like this is nothing what I remembered it being. And, uh, went down easy 4.4% and it was just really, really enjoyable. Usually I've got something better than that happen, but hey, it's a great classic beer. The weekend too, but it was just like, you know, I don't know if, if I had to go back, you know, there's probably a monkish that I had or something else, but I mean, it just hit the spot. I really enjoyed it. Nice. Um, Mike, anything stand out in the last week or so? <laughs> Yeah, I'm trying to think. It was probably Saturday night. Uh, I opened up uh, Half Acres Vanilla Benthic, uh, and, and Benthic is you know that, that their barrel age series. That one has come has just become better and better year over year. This year's uh, tops. I even think last year the the variants this year have been great. Vanilla Benthic was excellent. It's a biggie at I think it's like thirteen point seven percent. Opened it at nine p.m. I couldn't tell you if I made it to ten thirty or not that night, but. I mean, it's just a just a wonderfully done beer. Really nice barrel nose, but the vanilla's there. It's not that fake vanilla flavor. You get like vanilla extract. It's it's real vanilla. Tasted great. Nice. Not like the uh, what was the two barrel age game? It just takes another level uh, every year. It seems like they've done a really really good job. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I was I was I'm gonna laugh because Mike and I before Ryan came on, we just was just talking about how you know hazy IPAs can tend to start to be a little less of the everyday drinkers, but I did have, because Benny's was, I feel like they were kind of teasing everybody around here. They would release a few bottles of the double dry hop uh, King Sioux from Toppling Goliath. Um, but uh, Ryan did actually secure a couple extra bottles when he went and dropped one off on my porch. And so uh, it came in a, I believe it was a 16.9, correct? Yeah, 500 uh, bottle, 500 milliliter bottle. And I mean, it just right after work on Friday, it just hit every note. And that's such a Citra bomb. And one of our friends was commenting to us about how he's like, he's just like, I'm so sick of Citra because, but then I had this and it really kind of brought me back. And it's like, well, yeah, because Toplin Goliath usually knows exactly how to do, you know, a beer kind of just hit all the right notes. Um, but it, it was so good. What's that? <laughs> Go ahead, Mike. I was like, King Sue used to not be hazy either. That's the kind of the interesting thing. Over the last couple of years, they changed the recipe, um, but still really good. It is a really well done beer. But yeah, now it's now it's a hazy IPA. 
Oh yeah. I was saying uh, that actually came from the state of New York, Evan. <laughs> I oh, didn't, I didn't get any locally, so I had to get them shipped from New York. I got the first round uh, from some friends that uh, have some work in Decor, Iowa. So occasionally they can stop at the tap room and. Um, you know, most of the stuff at the tap room you can get on the shelves here, but uh, when they released that, I asked if they could stop and pick some up. So I did get a couple bottles through that, and I had no idea that we were going to get any around here. And so um, got some off the internet, and I assumed they were going to ship from Iowa, but they ended up shipping from New York. I was like, all right, the state of New York is getting these. I hope we do. And then we got some about a week later, but they sold out pretty quickly around here. Yeah. Um, so I think one of the, you know, in, like the topics that we wanted to stay on is kind of Chicago beer, because obviously you being in the city, Mike, you kind of have a lot of exposure to breweries up there. We definitely know about the breweries up there, but obviously aren't experiencing the day to day. Okay. I can get a beer. I can go to tap room. Now I can't go to the tap room. Where do I get my beer? How do I procure what I want to drink up in Chicago? I mean, what's it been like to be a Chicago uh, drinker in a city that is kind of, I mean, take your pick, you go to any neighborhood and you usually can find a brewery worth going to. Yeah. Um, it's, it's been interesting mainly because as rules change, everyone has to adapt and that's of course, including breweries and as the weather shifts, everyone has to adapt. So, you know, in the summertime, I guess when the, when the pandemic first started a lot of curbside, right? I mean, everyone had to shift and do curbside and, and it worked, right? Uh, it was really nice. You could order online, pick up. It was real easy. Some breweries then shifted into delivery as well. Some are still doing delivery. Uh, more brewing, Dovetail, or a couple that has uh, come to mind that said, hey, we got to be able to start doing delivery now. So, so they do delivery. Then the summer came and outdoor patios were open. Um, and we saw people shift to creating patios. Uh, Dovetail, Beguile, uh, Cruz Blanca, uh, off color already had their patio, but the, the, the breweries that never had patios before you're, you know, for all the time, uh, had outdoor seating all of a sudden, and they had to, because, you know, you were losing all of your seats inside. So we saw outdoor patios be very, very popular. And I think all in all the city, the, the, the city breweries did a great job. And, and even the suburban breweries, they all really followed protocol very, very well. They didn't take the crap from people. We didn't have too many mask issues in the city. I know the suburbs had more than we did. But um, it, everything seemed very, very safe. I was out at a bunch of patios uh, over the summer, masks, six feet, social distancing. It was great. And then got colder. Um, patios are pretty much gone now in the breweries. I'm trying to think who has them. I think some people say they're open as a joke, but no, uh, it's still very much curbside now. And as we begin to reopen, some people are opening up. So you can drink inside, but most are saying no, like we can, but we're just not there yet. So curbside is still the way to go here in the city. I imagine that the curbside, and I was talking about our local brewery, Bearded Owl, they, I think what they said that they were about ready to do online um, ordering and stuff too, just to basically kind of like speed some of their stuff up. So they were pretty quick to transition, but have, I think this is something that isn't going to go away which as drinkers, I think this is wonderful. This could put stuff on our porches and, and, and access to it more easily. Have, have you seen more access that maybe some people in the city could get from the suburbs and vice versa? Absolutely. So uh, someone like Moore, who you know, is out in Villa Park, it's about a 35, yeah. 40 minute drive from downtown. 
they now deliver to the city, I think once or twice a week, once every other week, and you couldn't get them before. So now you can place an order and more will drop it off to you. And oh, I think nice. that's just a sign of, of what you can get now. I'm trying to think of anyone else is doing that in the city. I know Salamoth was doing deliveries in the city as well. You could get some other stuff in Finney's and, and whatnot, but they were doing other deliveries and, and then go the, uh, you know, go the other way. Uh, Dovetail was going out to the suburbs and delivering some things that you just couldn't get in your binnies, right? Of course, you can get Hellas and Vienna and their Kolsch, but now they were saying, hey, we have all these other beers and we're going to deliver them right to you. You can get their Creek delivered. And I think that's great. Will it continue if there's money in it for them, right? They have to make smart business decisions. Once everything reopens, you know, I think curbside will stay. I think online ordering will stay as long as there's a profit to be made. Yeah, and I, I can't imagine, I can't imagine that like, if you were a brewery that made a ton of kegs and stuff right now, if you didn't switch over to canning, bottling, whatever, you're toast, um, unfortunately. But as long as they, I think, are able to continue a mobile operation, at least in terms of getting cans, bottles to people that hopefully they'll be able to stay afloat. And generally yeah, these really deliveries, they, they bring it right to your door, no issues like with that. So you wonder how they, they're able to do that in, in such a big city like Chicago and do that effectively and still be able to make money like a place like more, you know, I mean, they might have, I don't know, maybe it's not a huge volume, but I would think they'd have 30, 40, 50 different orders. But I guess if you got a big enough van or truck or something, you just right. line it up and, and send someone on their way. Yeah, I'm not sure how they're doing it. I would think logistically you have software that tells you the most optimal route to, to do your uh, to your drop-offs. I know some of the breweries were doing it by zip code. So so dovetail for delivery, even within the city, it's 60614, 60613-60657 today. And so it was it was kind of um, siphoned off by zip code. As for more, I think more is just a big block and it included all of Chicago. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty impressive. And you got to think, I mean, some of the places that have really done it right probably haven't skipped a beat much in terms of profitability and just being able to, to stay open and things like that, or at least you'd like to hope. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I, I've, I've talked to a few who, you know, kind of set off the record what they're, you know, how they're, how they're doing. And obviously to-go sales are through the roof, right? But does it offset what you can make in a tap room? And I think it all depends on the size of your tap room, right? So Revolution has a massive tap room. They're doing a lot of curbside. They pivoted very, very well, right? All of their deep wood releases had to go online. They used to have massive parties, shoulder to shoulder. It was a ton of fun, all gone uh, for, for, for 2020 and even the last one in January, but they were able to pivot and their curbside are great. I, I can't imagine it's, you know, what a Friday, Saturday at the tap room would be. Yeah. But again, curbside is, is helping, but then there's smaller tap rooms that are probably doing really, really well with curbside. Is it enough for them to stay afloat? Knock on wood, we've only lost one Chicago brewery since the pandemic started. So everyone is still hanging in there. That's Which one just, is that? Uh, Argus Brewing closed on the south east side. That's crazy that only one out of the Chicago, you know, that, that just shows you either one, well, one, they pivoted well, but two, Chicago's willing to drink at home um, and support their local breweries. Um, and actually, it might be too if you count Band of Bohemia. As a, I mean, it, it is a brewery. It's the Michelin Star Brew Pub. They closed. I'm not sure if the pandemic did it or some other factors, but they did close it too. Yeah. 
Um, we were also kind of touching earlier about you know, drinking habits and drinking styles have changed because of the pandemic. I know that Ryan and I um, would probably say that lagers have really become bigger, better uh, go-tos for us. Ryan, would you say that? Yeah, certainly. I don't know if it, it was just a little bit of uh, the haze craze kind of getting uh, some fatigue uh, coincidentally around the same time that this all started, but yeah, laggers, they just seem to go down better. And, um, the next day you don't feel like you're as bloated and all of that. So that part of it. And I think, uh, you know, we started getting dovetail in town, you know, a year, year and a half ago. So, um, that really introduced me to some really good craft lager that, uh, I don't think we could, we, we would get around here besides that. And then, uh, yeah, you know, as we tried some other stuff that started canning like beer stop lager house in, in Denver, um, some other places uh, yeah. are doing a really good job that it's just like, yeah, you can have, you can have a lager that is made by a craft brewery that is just really, really good relative to some of your mainstream ones you can get on the shelf every day. Yeah. I think people who tell you they don't like lager haven't had a good lager Yeah, totally. uh, because if you have a really well-made lager, you're, you're in good shape. There's a lot of well-done lagers here in the city. Um, but if, if you don't, try them then you're if you stick with the with the you know the big beer yeah there's a there's a massive taste difference i'm actually having i don't know if you have you heard of uh goldfinger absolutely love goldfinger i'm drinking their pills um i think they're downers grove or something yeah downers yep. grove okay. downers grove just they, they do a great job and they did a, a hoppy lager collab with hot butcher um, I don't know, a did, month or so ago. Didn't you and give so one was, to me? Yep, a crawler, yeah. Yeah, that's what it was. That was amazing. Was really, really good. Um, and so I got some cans at a local store up there, and yeah, they've been really, really enjoyable. Yeah, we're, we're seeing a bunch of lager-focused breweries coming up. Obviously, you have Metropolitan, you have Dovetail, you have uh, Goldfinger. You also have, have Art History now. And they're one that actually reached out to me and sent me some samples. And, you know, when a small brewery sends samples, always interested, they absolutely blew me away. And they're located um, where I'm blinking on the city. Hold on, I'm going to look it up. Because I was very um, in Geneva, where, where Penrose is. Okay, yeah. And they have uh, four different types of lagers. And they have a hazy. Hazy was fine. But it was their, their dark lager, their Hellas that were just absolutely well done so if we see more of that those are beers that people like to drink you can drink two or three of them and not be drunk yeah. and they're cheap right in all relative you know five six bucks for a pint rather than eight nine ten dollars for a hazy pint yeah yeah ryan and i were we had tickets to the weldworks invitational which when was that ryan that was supposed to be in like june may of this year and we had planned our flight schedule around arriving in Denver and going straight to Beer Lager House. And then all, all hell broke loose um, and it was devastating. But then the least devastating part of that was then Beer pivoted and started, I think reluctantly at first, um, but we were able to get some cans of like slow pour pills and their Hellas and I think that's when it really took off for me, like pandemic wise, in terms of like, once I got a hold of one of those cans and had some of that lager, I was like, okay, give it, give it all to me. I want it all. We started 
getting a little bit more live oak, although Ryan and I had, had we've had some live oak before, um, you know, visiting down there, but boy, when you can go straight to a place like that or get a place like that to start canning, you know that they're ready to pivot. Yeah, yeah, I got a couple other cans as well. One of my favorites for the last year, totally. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, at Great American Beer Fest in 2019, everyone went there. Everyone was talking about it. Slow pour pills were just being served consistently. We were we went there twice in three days, four days. It was that good. <laughs> and were they they were super crowded then for those days? I assume they were they were pretty crowded. They have a, they have a nice uh, upstairs space. It's not massive, but it's not small. Um, we found a table right away both times. But yeah, you just saw everybody going there and ordering slow slow pour pills, and they were cheap. Four bucks, I think, if I'm if my math is right, four or five bucks for a 0.3 milliliter of slow pour. It's great. Yeah. Well, it's certainly, I think this has certainly shifted a lot of, a lot of drinking habits. I think um, we're becoming a little bit more maybe refined in our tastes. And of course, I think that just comes with maturity too. Um, you know, there's always trends. There's always things. Speaking of trends, you always seem to be um, kind of poking fun at some trends, um, which I think is well-deserved sometimes. Um, what what are some of the the more entertaining ones that uh, that you've seen that maybe I mean you don't if you, if you don't feel comfortable kind of throwing shade at people that's fine but I think sometimes it's well deserved. Yeah. Oh no. I mean, I'll throw shade at anybody. Um, it's I, I think it's it, it's all in good fun, right? I'm very much yeah. of a, I'm very much of the mindset: drink whatever you want. If you enjoy it, good for it. I'm gonna poke fun at milkshake IPAs. I'm gonna poke fun at the overdone hazy IPAs. But I also love a good hazy IPA. I don't yeah. like milkshake IPAs. I've tried them over and over again. And breweries will be like, this is the one you're going to like. We're going to send it to you. Like, go ahead. And it never, it never does. Because it it's it's the it's the flavor profile. You can make it. And they might be really, really well done. I actually think Moore's Milkshake IPA, I think they sent me Blueberry Marbles. Marbles. Yeah, it was marbles. very, very well done. It, I actually drank more than a couple ounces of it. Still not for me. But wow, that's that's a really well done milkshake IPA. And if you like that, heavy vanilla lactose style of beer have at it but i'm definitely going to make fun of it yeah um, but at the end of the day as long as we're all drinking what we like and yeah you know just just having fun don't take it too seriously yeah we're good right yeah um i always I, I i still haven't had a 450 north but i'm pretty sure i don't really want to um that just seems to be such a weird microcosm of kind of ridiculousness that I don't don't understand. One thing one thing I don't care for and this is like where it stops being funny is beers that blow up. And if it blows up if, <laughs> yeah. if beers blow up in cans once, mistake, hey, own it. The, the good breweries do, you move on, mistakes happen. But 450 continues to release these beers and they put the onus on the consumer and I'm just not about that. Yeah. And I I haven't had a 450 North beer in a long time. I also thought the ABV issue was a massive like red flag that if you didn't realize that you know putting that much fruit into a beer would lower the APV ABV then either you shouldn't be brewing beer because you don't know you know basic science or you did know and you lied to the consumer yeah. so I'm, I'm on the record saying that like I do not support 450 uh, it's the only one that I truly like sorry guys um but but people love them and <laughs> You know, me not buying them isn't going to hurt them one bit. They don't care who I am. They don't even know who I am. And that's fine. <laughs> I think the, the amazing thing with that is that I don't think the demand changed on 
trade forums and, and things like that on, on your uh, social media groups, I thought, you know, the way that the people were irate when that whole story came out, you would have thought that they were just toast. You know, it was just going to be a matter of time. It just seems like everyone wants them just as bad. They were mad for a day or two and then they got over it. And it's like, all right, you know, yeah, I mean, they're, they're like. still the, they're still the social media darling, right? You see their posts everywhere. The, their yeah. cans garner, interactions, conversation, and, and that's part of it. And now they've really shifted into, into glassware. Glassware. Uh, yeah. I think today or yesterday were the mushroom glasses. Oh, I think wow, they're I making four, I think they have 40 of them at $250 a pop. <laughs> I can't wait to um, see what these look like. Go, yeah, go to their Instagram, <laughs> it's, uh, yesterday's post. Yeah, we'll have 40 of these 450 mushroom cups, $250 each. All right. Like to, to sell 40 glasses, Wait, they know what they're doing. $250 each, 40 of them. Give them credit. They're very good at marketing, right? People go nuts for these things. First off, the glasses look, I mean, again, I'm not in the glass like this. It's it's something. But to make only 40 of them, like you know exactly. Yeah. They look like something. You, <laughs> you know exactly what you're doing and props to them. They're creating buzz and demand for their beer and their products. <laughs> wow. This is something else. So, so Mike, when, uh, when you first started writing then 2010, 2011, um, were you in Chicago? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was in Chicago and I think we had eight, eight or 10 breweries. That was it. And what would have been one of the hot stories or the, you know, the year in beer in 2011 that was picking up was that West coast IPAs, East coast IPAs. Um, <laughs> was it just craft beer itself blowing up or was that still a year too early? Probably about a year or two early. Uh, we saw 2012 was the first boom and 2014 was the big boom okay. of, of, of craft beer here in the city. Uh, 2011, man, my very first interview for for pork drinking was at two brothers and i remember doing a brewery tour with with one of their brewers and he showed us their centrifuge he was like this is where we make the clearest ipa it's what everyone goes <laughs> for you want to get that clear hoppy ipa it's like yeah this is great like that's what everyone wanted and then it was probably about what 2014 2015 that and maybe in the 2016 with a hazy ipa right where where hazy IPA became the norm. But I keep thinking back oh. to that first interview where everyone was like, get the clearest IPA you can. Well, Hetty Topper said drink from the can because they they knew if people saw the haziness that they would be disgusted or just really, really caught off guard or it would it would really change their experience. It's like, yep. <laughs> did that change very quickly? And now you see these photos of beer that look like murky mud water. Yeah. And that's what people go for. But yes, uh, that is why Hedy Tapper was always told to be drank from the can. You can pour it out of the can. It was fine. But they didn't want you to see the haziness of it. Yeah. And so then uh, what's what's your opinion? Like, what's the big story now? It seems like everything's come out. Milkshake IPAs, a couple years old. Maybe it's <laughs> this fruit smoothie type. But still seems, yeah. I don't know, I guess I... I personally haven't seen maybe the innovativeness um, or, or maybe I'm just spoiled and, and, uh, and just don't appreciate it as much anymore, but what's kind of the, the new thing for the last 12, 24 months in your opinion? 
You know, it's interesting because we're not seeing a whole lot of new right now. I think, you know, we have Hazy still. Milkshake IPA came out. It did not come to what Hazy was going to be. The Brute IPA lasted for about six months. It didn't go where the Hazy is. I'm not sure what could be next, right? Um, we're seeing the Hazy still be very popular, right? The, it, it's maybe going down a little bit. We're seeing people start to go back towards classic styles. Uh, and we can go into that a little bit more later. But but in terms of like what's next, 12, 12 to 24 months, you know, I've always said sours are the next thing. They're not, right? Sours are a very, uh, very selective group of people. They're not going to ever be mainstream like they are, unless you're talking about a fruited sour, where then it's not actually sour, it's fruit. Um, so, so, you know, I don't know. I think it's people looking for drinkable beer, beers that you can have more than one of, right? And so um, I think that's something to look forward to. I just finished up a piece or doing all my interviews for a piece on the rise of the black IPA. So we hadn't seen black IPA since 2016. <laughs> and then Doug Velicki, the chief strategy officer at um, Revolution, tweeted about it over the summer. I was like, I think black IPA is going to make a comeback. And I actually just talked to him a couple of nights ago. Really, really great conversation around why the black IPA is coming out now. And he thinks it's not going to be a year round. I think at least he hopes it's not going to be a year round, but it's going to get back into that seasonal trend. And I, I, I hope he's right. It's a great beer style. So we're seeing that for the first time. We saw Firestone Walker win a gold for Wookie Jack, their black IPA. They then canned it for the first time. I think I just have their interview somewhere for the first time in years. So we'll see maybe seasonal um, styles come back, but not year round because they have to kind of be like, oh, I want it. And then I'll miss it and then I'll want it again. If it comes year round, it loses all the kind of like its luster. I think I've got a lot, gotten a lot more into seasonal drinking. Like when August, you know, September rolls around, it's like, I want Revolutions Oktoberfest. I want, you know, the Oktoberfest Marzins and stuff like that. And then, you know, I've been a little stout heavy lately because, you know, it's always like, I got a few of them in the cellar. I've got the homebrew uh, keg stout that um, one of our other co-hosts and I did together that we usually do once a year that has been kind of nice for just like a, a little pour every night. And um, But I think personally, I think it's still going to be a trend towards those sessionable, the lagers, the, se- the session IPAs and things like that, the lighter stuff that, like you said, Mike, it's going to be, I can have a couple without feeling like the next day I'm run down and had too many the night before. I think it's going to be something that you can always have and always go to. Yeah. I think also too, with the pandemic, you know, if you go to a brewery, you can have a flight or a, or, or a, the half pour of a hazy IPA, but to get a 16 ounce, you know, to have a four pack of 16 ounce hazy IPA, you're only opening one of them. Yeah. Yep. Um, you know, or, when I, when I was at Treehouse, house, to buy a crawler to go, right. Cause then you're talking, right. you know, yeah. sometimes 20, 24 ounce, 32 ounces of it. That's so much beer. And once you open it, you have to drink it. And I could not imagine drinking 32 ounces of hazy IPA, like for the ABV, but just that feeling that, that gut in your, there, that bomb in your stomach is you're not going to feel good the next day. Um, when I went to Treehouse in 2018, you get, at least back in the day, I don't know if it's changed, you get two tickets for pours on days that the, the pours are open, which I think now are, are all days, but you get two, two tickets. Got my first ticket, got my hazy IPA, delicious, was sitting outside by myself. My wife was doing something else. Um, then I went to my second one, got another hazy IPA, 
and I got about halfway through and I was like, I am done. Like one, one, I have to drive home, uh, back to Boston. It's about a 45 minute drive from Treehouse to downtown Boston. And but you're just like, I'm, I'm done here. And I, I'll say this, I think the best beers out of Treehouse are actually their coffee beers. Um, they use local beans there and their coffee porter, um, abstraction with coffee. It's fantastic. It's better than any of their hazy beers. So I wish I'd done that. I got brought some cans home of that and it was delicious. So you just, you can't drink that much hazy IPA. Yeah. Yeah. No, I used I to try. Agree. I used to try. Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then, and then I went up a few pounds and then I decided to pull back a little bit, work out a little bit more and uh, we're even now. So thanks. Hazy. <laughs> <laughs> and there are some really good ones. There's some really good oh, yeah. IPAs. Like, right. There's nothing, nothing against the style. I think it's actually a very smart style. It got a lot of people in the craft beer. Chicago had the first two gold medals at GABF with um, Alarmus Lejeune and yeah. and um, Old Irving Beezer. Both are fantastic. What's that but second like, one? Um, uh, Old Irving's Beezer. That one okay. in 2019. So 2018 Lejeune, 2019. Yeah. Yeah, 2019 Beezer okay. and then 2020. I didn't know that they wanted that next year. Okay. Yeah. And you know, yeah, I, always, goes, yeah, I always think of Hot oh, Butcher as one of my you know, kind of sought after in, in terms of good hazy IPA. Uh, I like what they do. Um, we don't get much of it down here. Maybe, um, uh, Ryan, if your brother-in-law, Brett, brings a couple cans down when he yeah. comes down to visit you, we usually can get get some of that. Yeah, they make they make really good beer. Uh, I really like the guys over at Hot Butcher. Tavern Cut, is there that one in Kilbasa King? Those two. <laughs> First, the can art is great. Yeah. Really, really, really well done hazy beer. Tavern That's awesome. Really good. Yeah, yeah, that artist. What's his name? Dan Garza. Yep. Uh, Gretza. Gretza. Okay. Gretza Garza, but yeah, something yeah. like that. Yeah. His. Um. I've got. I've got a Black Keys poster that he did, uh, from one of the concerts in Chicago because he did their concert poster, and I was like, I've seen this somewhere, <laughs> and I kept looking, looking. It's like, holy cow, this guy does the Hot Butcher labels. Yep. He does. He does all of them. Yeah. Um. So, what would you kind of envision as your dream four pack it does it all in four pack doesn't have to be a specific style or i mean sorry a specific kind but maybe just styles but if you got a specific particular one in that style fire away yeah it's a good question um i mean a lager for sure right like if, if i'm going style a dovetail hellas is what i'll drink all day every day um, I'll, I'll keep it all chicago focused for this one but an allagash white is hands down Whenever oh. I get asked what what is my desert island beer, it's always Allagash White. Um, you can do no wrong with that beer, and just yeah, drink it however whatever format. They're sixteen ounce cans or twelve ounce bottles, twelve ounce cans. Allagash White to me is maybe the my single most sought after beer that I'll drink anytime, anywhere. Um, but back to my four pack. So um, <laughs> I'll, I'll, a lager for sure. I love a good goes goes a beer. Um, right now, beer for tacos from Off Color has been probably the beer I've bought the most outside of Dovetail since the pandemic started. Um, me and my wife have think every Tuesday we have tacos, and every Tuesday I'm drinking a beer. For, exactly right. I mean, it's, it's cliche, but we do. And I'm drinking a beer for tacos. So beer for tacos, some kind of goza. It's such a it's a well well done beer. Then I would do a brown ale. And if you can get really well done brown ales, those are great. They're lighter. They're about five, mid 5% ABV, maybe a 6%. 
You can put coffee in them. You don't have to. You can put chocolate. You don't have to. But give me a good brown ale, and I'm I'm pretty happy. And then I would want a stout. And and what's nice about stout is that you can have stout at four percent, five percent, all the way up to 13, 14, 15 percent. Stouts are very versatile. They're great summer beers if you get like the the stand, you know, your your basic stout, and then of course your fall winter barrel aged beers. So you know, make a four pack of those, and I can drink on a desert island all the rest of my life. Are you drinking a stout now, or is that wine? No, no, this is a stout. This is um, dinosaurs. This is barrel aged dinosaurs. Ooh, yeah, uh, from off color, and they I've do what I love. They do these, yeah, two hundred fifty milliliter bottles. They're the only ones in the city that I know are doing two fifty milliliters right now. But eight point five ounces, I think. Yeah, it's perfect on a. Wednesday night, I want like eight ounces. I don't want 16 ounces, right? I can't yeah. finish 16 ounces of barrel-aged beer on a Wednesday night. Yeah. And so eight ounces of this, beautiful sipping beer. Yeah, the, um, what did, I think uh, one of our friends procured some Fox Farm uh, brown ale because that was a very, I think it may have won an award for a, a non-adjunct brown ale, uh, Fox Farm. That's up in Connecticut uh, in, in, I think um, scatter. What's that? Is it called scatter? Yeah, the brown ale. Yeah, that apparently Brian had had procured some, I believe, and I mean it was amazing the like Snickers and chocolate and coffee and kind of things you get out of a a brown ale. I, that's a that's a nice pick. I like that, but well rounded. Do you all get um, Midwest Coast Brewing? I'm not sure if they would. I don't know if they distribute right now, but Midwest Coast Brewing is a newer brewery in the city. Um, I think so. I did a virtual beer tasting once, and I got one of their beers. And I think that some of their stuff is at Benny's Ryan, Midwest Coast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that they did have some of their stuff. I didn't see the because they have a good brown ale, correct? They have my favorite brown ale. Yeah. Um, yep. I think we can get some of that. Are they in the city of Chicago? Yeah, they are. So they're right in the area with, uh, with Goose Island and on tour and great central. Yeah. So they opened up a couple of years ago. Um, excellent stuff. I mean, they, they have a hazy, they opened up with, uh, with an ESB, a Saison, a brown ale, one hazy and a lager. And when I went there just before they opened, they showed me the draft. I was like, this is bold. (laughs) <laughs> the beer, the beer is great. I mean, uh, the, the West Town Brown—that's their brown ale, best brown ale in the city. It's one that I'll constantly go to and have in my fridge. Oh, that sounds like a good brown ale. Sounds good right now too. This uh, this Czech uh, Czech style dark lager is easy drinking for a Wednesday. Easy drinking. They they did uh, just before the pandemic. I want to say it was like probably January twenty twenty. Or maybe it was December. They did a uh, dark lager night at Dovetail. Uh, and so up in the barrel room, all they did was serve dark lager and they just checked your beers off on a sheet and you paid at the end. It's a great night. Awesome. Wow. I, I can't believe they've run everything that they brew through a cool ship. Everything. That's just. Such a fascinating podcast. Listen to their, yeah. their techniques and methods and everything. Wow. Yeah. They're, they're, um, they're doing some special stuff, and I'm just glad that we can get a hold of it. Yeah, oh, pure. They're oh, they're out there. Yeah, <laughs> it's so hard with the with the green screen, but I've I've had one more of these in the fridge. 
they probably made this in the fall, but this thing's really good too. They do. I mean, they don't they don't make a bad beer. That I'm so impressed yeah. with them every time I I buy some off the shelf and crack it, and um, occasionally get a few extras from the Chicago area. Yeah, yeah. That that online ordering I got that I uh, shared with everybody it, it it went pretty quickly. So I'm glad that y'all uh, had a had a good time with that. <laughs> Yeah, we're we're continuing to evolve our taste out of Peoria. Um, we're not we're not Chicago. We we um, glad that we can have access to Chicago stuff. I miss coming up to Chicago uh, a lot. Um, is stuff really open up yet, or are you guys still kind of down on mitigation stuff? We're still down. I think indoor dining is now open at like twenty five percent. Towards I I think it's loosening up a little bit coming up soon. Honestly, I'm at the point now where if I can support local business with carry out and to go order, it's the same thing in delivery. I'm still doing that. We've, we've made it this far. Like I can wait a little bit longer until it gets nice out to go on patios, but yeah, we're, we're still pretty much, I'm trying to think of any tap rooms that are open and I'm sure I'll get a notice from somebody's like, Oh, we are open, but I can't think of any tap rooms that are in open indoors. I think there might be, or the Giants one, um, the one I know in the Corridor family, not there might be Giants, that's the band. Um, <laughs> Giants I'll have to figure out what it is, but it's the one with the Corridor, that, oh, Crushed by Giants. Crushed by okay, Giants, I think okay. they're opening up for indoor soon. I, I think Cruz Blanca, I think if you serve food, yeah. you're probably more likely to be open than if you're yeah. not serving food. So like a Cruz Blanca is, is opening up now, I think at limited capacity. Crushed by Giants is opened up. I think who else might be open up revolution i know is not open all colors not open so again they have the ability but like we're just not ready which makes me think that they have the to go curbside order going going well and to keep your staff safe do that right well and it might be it might be too expensive too for them to open up anyway with it being so damn cold outside and stuff and it's more cost effective just to do continued curbside until it gets warmer and you can be outside. I mean, having restaurants closed seasonally is not an unheard of thing, especially in big cities. So it may be just smart for them to continue to do that. I mean, we're not a big city down here um, and stuff is, is getting more and more open. I think they've done a pretty good job and things have been fairly safe uh, when, when numbers are concerned, but yeah, I mean, I miss, I think some of this has really turned us into introverts um, and if you're a comfortable introvert, it's not been too bad socially, but I do miss going out to the pub and sitting in tap room like Ryan's sitting in. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, I miss that. We've done a few socially distanced bottle shares with you know, our buddies down here um, in garages and cold environments, but I'm ready to be outside uh, in a tap room or something like that sometime soon. So yeah, absolutely. It's it, It's been a, it's been a bummer in the winter for sure. Cause you know, you just look kind of like belling up to a, a bar in the winter and staying there for a few hours, but you know, hopefully the, the ends on the horizon with vaccines and then we'll obviously we'll have the summertime to be outside, yeah. but. Yeah. Um, By the time I, it gets cold again, then uh, be a whole, whole different atmosphere around us. Yeah. Hope so. Yeah. Mike, I really appreciate taking time to join us. Um, we are appreciative of your insight and uh, having some beers with us. And maybe sometime when we get up to Chicago, we can all sit down and have one too. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me on. And yeah, if you're in the city, when the things are back open, let's have a beer.
All right. Cheers, Mike. Cheers, gents. Thanks. Cheers. Bye.